0: Welcome to Lakeside Church's Message Podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find a church, family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Amen. Amen. When you came in, you should have um, had the opportunity to grab one of these um, handouts. You can follow along. And if you look at it and you're like, dear God, that's a lot of blanks. We're not getting out of here. I promise it will not take that long. Okay, we're going to go through it kind of quickly, um, but we're going to be starting a study um, like, like we haven't done before at Lakeside Church. It's a little bit different. It'll be the first time we kind of do this, but we're going to go through one book in depth. And I promise you the reason I'm, we're going through this book and we're going to try to read through it together is because I really think there's things that are in this book that even though it was written about 2,000 years ago, they're real today. And even though it was written to a city called Ephesus, if you live in Lexington or Red Bank or Gilbert or Irmo or Columbia, like it's for you that you're going to see some similarities. And I think one of the things I've seen is when you come to the Scripture is sometimes you read it, but you don't really understand it. And and what I mean by that is not that you're dumb or not that you're you're not smart or anything like that. But for me, if I read it and I just read the page, um, but I don't know what the names of the cities mean, or I don't know what the, the grammars really like. Like, grammar matters, right? Let's eat grandma, or let's eat grandma. I mean, grammar matters. And when you read the Bible, it, yeah, my, my mom said yes, I'm going to my kids doing that. But when you read the Bible, grammar matters. Like, what they were saying actually is important to figure out. And so we're going to go through that, and we're going to study um, some of that. But, but today is going to kind of be some background um, information that I hope you find useful, and I hope you find a blessing. And I hope even though it's written a long time ago, it helps you today because that's my goal. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, uh, that's in the beginning of the book. We're going to start right there. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a few things I want to pull out. One is that word saints, Um, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That word saints, it really means holy, pure, and sacred. And you're about to see when we look at Ephesus, the kind of city that they lived in, and you're going to see a difference between the city that they lived in and what God was calling them to. Because God calls them saints, holy, pure, and sacred. And in fact, in some of the earliest manuscripts, the words in Ephesus aren't even in there. And it was probably written not just to Ephesus, but to all the cities around Ephesus. But we know one thing for sure. It was written to the saints, to people that are holy. God has called you holy, set apart, pure. Whether you feel pure or not, God has called you pure and sacred. Like you are sacred. You are special. If you believe in Jesus Christ, like you are not the old pair of tennis shoes that you put on to mow the grass. You're the good pair of shoes that you keep for special occasions. My dad bought me this pair of shoes that are beyond my style pay grade, all right? I am not a stylish person. I know that. I can't wear some things. I put them on. I look ridiculous. Some of y'all are like that, too. I can tell by the way you're dressed. But just own it. Some of you guys can wear stuff, and you look cool. My brother-in-law have, like, a pink shirt and these brown shoes with wingtips, and I'm like, he's cooler than me but my dad bought me a pair of shoes that were meant for him, my size. He can't fit them because he's little. My feet are big. And so I put those on. I wear them to work. Everybody's like, oh, nice shoes, Mr. Martinez. I'm like, thanks. When I put on my normal shoes, they don't compliment the Frankensteins. The Frankensteins are comfortable. They're big, boxy. They're, that, that's my style. I'm boring. I know it. I own it. But when I put on the nice shoes, the sacred shoes that get kept in a good space, that only come out when I did my cousin's wedding or when I have an important meeting, they're special. I've got tons of other shoes that I'll just mow the grass with, pour stuff on, just throw them in the corner. And God has called you sacred. Like you are special. You are not normal. You're for God's special occasion. When God looks at you, you're special, the good shoes. And so I want you to see that. Then we're going to look at the city that they lived in. So let's talk about the city Ephesus. Ephesus was probably the second or third most powerful city in the Roman Empire. It was rich. Estimates estimate that there was probably about 225,000 people that lived in the city. They had running water. Some of the restrooms back then even had running water. Two-story houses, very wealthy, gateway to Asia, like trading capital. Like this was a good place to live. Ephesus was the real deal. People came through the city like crazy. It was a center of pagan religious life. Like, Ephesus was the Disney world of demon worship. You go to Orlando, it's like the House of Mouse. Everywhere has ears, and they're selling you these little Mickey Mouse things and T-shirts and come buy the cheap tickets, and that's what Orlando is all about. Before the House of Mouse, Orlando was a swamp. Walt Disney's a genius. He says, give me that nasty mosquito-infested alligator swamp, and I'm going to put this shrine to the mouse. And people come from all over just to go to Disney World. Same thing with Ephesus. It was a uh, center for Diana, the goddess of fertility, sex. Think about that. I know there's young ones in the room, but like the goddess, the worship was built on sex, Going to church meant something different. People were all about that life. It was a very hard thing to break through. It was the center, the whole thing. You walked into there, there were idols, there were shrines built to this goddess of fertility. That when you worshiped that God, you knew what you were worshiping. And it wasn't pure, and it wasn't holy, and it wasn't sacred. It was also a market capital of Roman Asia. Like, they had a lot of stores there. I lived in a small town in Missouri, raised in Miami. They say the best thing about Miami is so close to the United States, right? Well, I grew up there, and then I moved to this small town, and you didn't have stores. They had, like, Dollar Generals. That was the big thing. And I'm like, dear God, where do you buy stuff? We had to have spices shipped from home. We're like, Nivea, that's my mother-in-law, please. Please. Sazon sends some. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. But this was the market capital. There was no Amazon. There were long trips where you walked or you boated. Ephesus was right on the water. Picture that. We were at Ken's house yesterday for the men's retreat. Right on the water. It was cool, but a little sunny. It, wasn't, it was warm and cool and beautiful. And Ephesus was right on the water, a beautiful city, rich and wealthy, pagan shrine, market capital, and it was wealthy. In fact, some people could store their money in the temple. So you had this temple built on the sex god that was like the Mickey Mouse that you knew when you went to Orlando, you're going for the mouse. When you went to Ephesus, you were going for Diana, the goddess of fertility, but you could also store their, your money in the temple, and it was like a banking capital as well. And it was a large and mixed population where Roman and Asia came together. In fact, when I read about this, there's very many things that I see about our country that just pop up on there. It seems to me like we've grown in the worship of sex, that we're the market capital of the world, that we're pretty wealthy, and that we're a large and mixed population. And although we don't worship idols in the same way, it feels like we've established some idols. And we're quick to wear them and celebrate them. And so Paul writes to Ephesus and he says, you're saints, you're sacred, you're holy, but you're in the midst of a very unholy, very unsacred place. So let's backtrack, and I listed some verses on here, and I couldn't put them on all there, but you can go back and read it, and you can check me out. I encourage you to read the Bible on your own, study it, listen to other people, read other books. But go to the book of um, Acts chapter 19, and it's the whole story about how the gospel came to Ephesus. When you get to the first three verses, I believe that it is, or actually the first seven is where I'm going to go to, Um, Or actually, we'll start with the first three, forgive me. Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. He finds some disciples there, and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to go through fast because I'm giving you the flyby. We're going to buzz through how the gospel came. We're not going to spot a lot of time here, but I want to pull out some points. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? There were 12 disciples there. City of 225,000 people, and they didn't even understand the whole gospel, didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, and Paul shows up. And they're like, did you um, receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what are you talking about? We've never heard about this. So in Acts 19, 1 through 7, the church there starts with a group of disciples that was a small group with an imperfect understanding, and that's what you can write in. Acts 19, 1-7, it starts with a small group of disciples with an imperfect understanding. Verse 7 says there's 12 of them. A city of 225,000 people has 12 disciples, and they don't even understand the basics but I want you to see what happens because the book of Ephesus is where John became the bishop later on. John, Jesus' disciple. and and, I mean, not the book of Ephesus, but the city of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus is from where Paul wrote the Corinthians. The city of Ephesus got turned around, but it started with a small group of disciples who didn't even understand it all. And so Paul shows up in verse 8, and he speaks boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In the midst of this rich pagan society that was built on idol worship of sex, Paul speaks boldly. Some of them were stubborn, and Paul couldn't even go to the synagogue anymore. He started in verse 8 in the synagogue. There was a Jewish population in Ephesus. And so he starts among his people because Paul was a Jew, and eventually they got tired of it because he was messing with their lives. And so Paul rents out a lecture hall, the Hall of Tyrannus. And he preaches there from every day from 11 to 4 for two years. And he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. See, the first thing that happened is there was a small group of disciples with imperfect understanding. But in Acts 19, 8 through 10, Paul began the proclamation of the kingdom of God. See, there is power, in believers, I'm trying to teach you something, there is power when you speak the word of God, when you speak it boldly and not like a chicken, not rudely. Some of y'all only know how to speak rudely. Boldly, there's a difference. Boldly proclaim the word of God in spite of whatever anybody says. And so that's what Paul did for two years sharing the gospel. I'm giving you because I want you to see what happens. Verse 11, and this is where it gets weird. Remember, this was a a magic capital. Um, Inside Ephesus, they had idols. They had a main idol, but they had a lot of demon worship and a lot of magic going on in the city. And so God decided to do something very weird. Very weird. Because in verse 11, it says, God... Was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul was bold enough to stand up and proclaim the gospel boldly, the proclamation. And then God started doing extraordinary miracles. The miracles are strange, some of the strangest in all of Scripture, is that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away and taken to the sick. Here you go. It's just weird. But God did what he did, and people began to freak out, and they began to see that evil diseases left, evil spirits left, and diseases were healed, and so in verse 11 and 12, it says Paul began the demonstration, or Paul demonstrated the kingdom of God. See, there is a demonstration. There is one thing when I come and I share the gospel to you, and I speak boldly about Jesus, and there's another thing when you begin to believe it, and the gospel takes root, and your life is changed, and you're different. And things you struggled with before are gone. God wants to demonstrate that. It's not just a story in a book. It's a story that when it's spoken and when somebody hears and when they believe, it takes root like a seed, Jesus says, and powerfully transforms their life. And God wants to powerfully transform our lives and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Demonstrate that he is God. Better than any idol. Better, better than any demon. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 19. Now this is where it gets very interesting because remember it started with a small group of disciples. They didn't understand. Paul stayed there for two years preaching every day in a rented lecture hall. God does some amazing miracles. The city starts to turn around, but this is what I want somebody to get a hold of. Verse 18. It says, many of those who were now believers, came confessing and divulging their practices. They had practiced magic arts, and they brought their books together, and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase mightily and prevail. But this idea that now you had a bunch of people who believed. Maybe they got a hanky from Paul and for some reason God did a miracle and they got healed. And they showed up and they said, you sent this to me? And then Paul's proclaiming the gospel and they believed. And now there's a big group of believers. But do you know what had to happen before that city got turned around? The group of believers had to come and confess their practices. Do you know how many times we as believers, even though God calls us sacred, we're not sacred. Even though God calls us pure, we're not pure. And it wasn't until the believers came and they confessed, these were not unbelievers. These were people that might have been sitting for two years, might have been some of the original 12, but they had to come and say, God, I'm just not right. They had been holding on to magic books, 50,000 pieces of silver. That was a day's wage, 50,000 days wages. There's some people in here that would have come confessing your sins and sold your books. That's a lot of money. In fact, later on, Ephesus has one of the biggest libraries outside of Alexandria, Egypt. They were very good at keeping scrolls, and it was valued there. But in 18 through 20, we see that the believers got right with God, and I believe that's happening here in this church. I believe that's what God God is calling us to, is that believers would get right. Verse 23, and I love this part because you started with a small group of believers that didn't even know everything, and it ends like this. And concerning that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way the idol makers start realizing that Paul is turning the city upside down. People are no longer buying their idols, and Demetrius, the silversmith, gets ticked off. And he gathers all the people together, and he says, wait a second, we're rich, we're wealthy, but nobody's buying the idols anymore. Let's get Paul out of here. Men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. And in verse 26, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. Paul set up an outpost in a pagan territory, and he cut off the head. He killed their business. They got so ticked off that the city begins to riot. You can read, go and read the scripture. Verse um, 19, I'm sorry, 19 20 through 26, it says, So many people turned to God that the whole city was disturbed. The whole city. From the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. Now, looks what happens in Ephesus is that the whole city got in confusion. They rushed together to the theater, and they dragged some of Paul's companions. Paul wanted to go into the crowd, but they were like, "No!" Now, I want you to get this picture. Why this theater that they had? And you can go look online. There's pictures and there's some YouTube videos. It held 24 to 25,000 people. 24. I want you to picture that. 24 to 25,000 people screaming for hours about their God. And Paul's like, I got this. Let's do it. They're all here. We can finally get them saved. They're all right here. Let's go. And his people hold him back, and they're like, Paul, you're crazy. Paul eventually has to leave, but they turn the whole city upside down. It began to riot. So in Acts 19, 28 through 30, we see that the city began to riot. When was the last time that a group of believers made that big of an impact in a city that the city began to riot? That the strip club loaners and the drug dealers and the human traffickers were like, we can't even do this business anymore because nobody's doing these vices. It's happened before. It's happened in this country in certain areas. Small group of imperfect believers, proclamation and demonstration of the gospel, the believers getting right, and then the city was turned upside down. So Paul leaves, and Paul's kicked out, and so he turns back, and he writes a letter that was to Ephesus, but also to all of Asia. It got circulated around. In Ephesians 1 through 2, Of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, that means the one sent to you. They knew he was an apostle. They saw the miracles and heard the word of Christ Jesus because that was the message by the will of God to the saints, the ones who had confessed their sins and thrown their magic books into the fire, the ones who lived in a pagan city where they were under stress and, and in trouble. And you're faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too long ago, 25,000 people rioted against the believers. And they stood strong. 25,000 people kicked Paul out of the city. And his people won't let him go. His buddies won't let him back in. So he writes them a letter. So let's look at some things. Number one, they were set apart and holy. You know, God is looking for that today. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, that's what God has called you to be. to Set apart and holy, that special pair of shoes, that shirt that you only wear for special occasions, the suit that you keep wrapped up in the closet and doesn't fit anymore probably because, you know, but you never wear it but it's your special clothes. That piece of jewelry that you have and you don't wear every day, but it's it's locked away and it's kept and it's valuable, that's what you are to God and holy. Are you set apart like that from the world? Because we're gonna see that they lived in a place that was just as bad, if not worse than now. We can't complain about our time, we can't complain about our nation, We can't say there's too much distractions. When was the last time 25,000 people dragged you down into the city and tried to keep you from talking about Jesus? When that happens, then we got problems. Now, it's not that we can't be worried about that other stuff, but let's put it in perspective. That's what he was writing to. Set apart and holy. The next thing is they were in the midst of an unholy city. See, God didn't take them out. God left the believers there. And if you're a believer and you're trying to be set apart, sometimes you're just like, really? They put that on TV? You ever watch the kids' movie? And I'm not trying to be prude or stuck up, but you watch a kids' movie and you're like, it's great? And then all of a sudden, a set scene comes on? And you're like, Why? Why? what does this have to do with two mice running around hitting each other with a hammer? What does this have to do with a sponge at the bottom of the ocean? Why? And I'm not trying to be bad. I'm just saying like, Christianity thrives in the midst of unholy cities when God's people understand that they can remain holy in the midst of unholiness. The next thing is they were faithful in the midst of extreme spiritual, financial, and I put physical opposition. Because 25,000 people yelling at you, that's kind of a big deal. Financial. Do you think that it was easy in that city when you're cutting into their business, when everybody makes money off of the idols, and you're like, you know, we don't worship idols anymore? You wouldn't be popular in Orlando if you were coming out against Disney or theme parks. And spiritual, you don't think that there was some spiritual opposition? Let me tell you something. There may not be demons under every bush, but there are demons in this world. There is a spiritual reality that is bigger than this physical reality. And although there were probably a lot of people, think about it, there's people today that come to church to worship the real living God, and they don't really actually do that. They just show up and take a seat. So I bet people did that at pagan temples. Like, why are we going to the temple? I don't know. Just time to kill a goat. I don't know. That's what we do. They probably weren't really in it. Their hearts weren't in it. So maybe not all of them were connecting with demons. But there was definitely some demonic stuff. And that was a stronghold. And in the midst of this very difficult city, the Christians thrived. A couple more points and we're going to be done. Um, And this is the most important part, and I think that this is the, I want you to read chapter 1 between now and next week. Please do that. If you want to follow along in this study, we're going to kind of go chapter by chapter. But when you read chapter 1, you're going to see that they were in the city, but that they were also in Christ. And if you have a Bible that you can circle or highlight, highlight how many times in chapter 1 it talks about in Christ. The key to being holy and set apart is being in Christ. And then he wishes them grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And I added something on there because it's, it's, it's true. It's also the sense of power and love. Paul says in Corinthians, a letter he wrote from Ephesus, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's unmerited favor and his love for you, it empowers you. They needed power, they needed grace, they needed God's love. They were getting a lot of hate and God said grace to you, and then He said peace. When you think about what they were going through, peace, that's freedom from the conflict they faced. Doesn't that sound interesting? Peace, guys. Just be at peace. But Paul, peace. Sometimes my kids, sometimes my kids, they get yelling and screaming and fighting and Chill. Relax. And the last thing I want to say as we're, as we're beginning to close up is, their only hope was the real God, even though they were surrounded by the worship of false gods. And I want you to think about that in this midst of this culture and where everything's going. And I'm not say, I didn't say anything specific. If anything came to your mind, it might be something that God is dealing you with you. But I know that Christianity flourishes when people connect with the real God. And you can be in the midst of horrible places and thrive in your spiritual walk if you get the grace of God and the peace that comes from his, the cross. And God, I think, is looking to do this in our city. I would love to, for God to turn our city around. I don't think it's as bad as Ephesus. I haven't seen the idol I haven't seen anybody dragged down to the amphitheater. But I still think there's some things that we can turn around. And I still think that there might be some believers that maybe you need to take that next step. Maybe you need to learn more about your faith, and we invite you to come to church with us or join a small group. Maybe your faith is imperfect. If your faith is imperfect, that's okay. God used imperfect people with imperfect faith a lot. But don't stay there. Learn some stuff. Read. If you can't read, put on an audiobook. You can't hear, braille it out. Talk to somebody. I don't know what you do, but learn as much as you can. The next thing is, is um, some of you might be at the point where you've learned enough that now you've got to realize you've got to confess something. I'm not trying to pry, but think about that. It took two years of them listening to the gospel and they were like, I guess I got to get rid of the magic book now, don't I? You know what it would happen. They believed in Jesus. That first night they went home and they looked at the magic book and they just left it there. The next night they put it in the closet. Then they lent it to their uncle. And then they were like, crap, I got to burn this thing. We do that with sin all the time. We're not really ready to get rid of it, but we just keep it there. Maybe they backslid, you know, every once in a while they go over there doing incantation, and they feel bad about it. And finally, like, I gotta get rid of the book. What's the book in your life? What's the book in your life? I don't know. That's between you and God. And then the next step is the city turns around. So you should either be learning or growing. Um And we offer small groups. Also, Go Deeper after church next week. We're going to be starting Go Deeper. If you want to learn more about our church and you want to learn more about the faith, um, stay and hang out after service next week. And we'd love for that. But would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes because we're going to be wrapping this up. I I wasn't trying to pry, and I wasn't trying to point fingers. And I, I honestly, I'm not better than you. I'm in the same boat trying to constantly learn more and confess my stuff to God, and burn the books in my life. Like, this is the journey that I'm on. This is, I'm following Christ, and that's what it's about. Maybe you don't know Christ in this room. If you don't know Jesus, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you would like to be, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you don't know Christ, and you would like to know Christ, would you just put your hand up? I would like to know who that might be. Now maybe you know Christ. But maybe you're at the point where you need to commit to learn more. You've got imperfect faith and you've got you to learn more and you've got to grow in your faith. If you feel God challenging you in that way, to learn more and grow in your faith and understand the kingdom more, would you put your hand up right now if you feel like God is challenging you in that way? Amen. Now this last one, maybe you've learned more, maybe you know a lot, you know more than me. But maybe you've got to confess your sins and burn your books. You've got stuff in your life you need to get rid of don't keep it in a drawer don't keep it in the car don't keep it in the bottom of the closet you need to get rid of that junk you need to go home and get rid of it burn the books if that's you and without any shame and without any eyes looking around if that's you I'd like to know who I'm going to pray for in a minute if you've got it gets amen you got to get some stuff right you can just Put it down and put it down. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys. I'm Bob. (laughs) (laughs)